Hey guys, it's me, Chris Denson, Innovation Crush. Now look, around here we're not exactly the web designing type, but we just started creating an amazing website using Weebly. And honestly, I still can't believe how easy it all works. First of all, Weebly was created for people like me with the courage to start their own business and the dream to be their own boss. No one tells me what to do on this show. Again, you don't need to be a web designer or know how to code to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Now, personally, we were all like really impressed with the wide variety of professionally designed, mobile-friendly themes to choose from. And then all we had to do was drag and drop to quickly build and publish the site. Way too easy. And we can truly customize, update, and change the site anytime we want on any device. So look, here's what I suggest you do. Join the over 30 million people who are already dreaming big with Weebly. Get started today with a free trial at Weebly.com slash crush. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com slash crush. Weebly.com slash crush. to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson. Um, and today, I'm sitting here with Brian Wong. Say hello, Brian. Hey, everybody. All right. So uh, if you guys are tuning in for the first time, you know, uh, you don't know that the show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, uh, fun people doing smart stuff in the marketplace. So uh, Brian, for the sake of uh, me not botching an intro, uh, kind of do the 90-second version of who Brian Wong is. Sure. So I'm Brian Wong. I'm the founder and CEO of Keep. Um, I'm a Canadian, born and raised in Vancouver, so West Coast all the way. I moved down to San Francisco in 2010, uh, originally working at another company called Dig, D-I-G-G.com, and then I got laid off and ended up uh, deciding to start my own company. And Keep was based on a very simple premise that instead of having an ad show up when you're using your apps on your phone, why not be rewarded? Why not, let's say, level up in a game and, you know, Gatorade could be there to reward you or Starbucks or whatever it might be. So the idea was to bring brands into a, a meaningful moment with a better mechanism, which was a reward. So that company has been the company I've been running since 2010. It's now uh, you know, close to 100 people, uh, San Francisco, New York. Um, we're obviously a lot more later stage now. We've raised some more VC money. Uh, but that, in a nutshell, is uh, who I am and what I'm doing. How did... Um how did the idea for keep you know, like you tell a really great origin story and like how this all came to be and just kind of like having that that uh, what do you call it, the sixth sense <laughs> like it's just all yeah, starting to make sense at the yeah so the idea came to me actually when I was on a flight I remember walking up and down the aisles and uh, I call I do what I call an aisle creep which is very good I'm market known as an aisle creep too totally it's a very different other reasons yeah there's a, a lot of great market research you can get from planes just because you see people on their phones when they're bored what are they doing and I noticed that a lot of people are playing games. And it then hit me as an entrepreneur, especially when you observe behavior that's growing so exponentially, you're probably trying to figure out why. And in my case, I figured out that there were these achievements that you would hit and you would be addicted to them because they feel good. It's like right. this dopamine rush. So if there's this dopamine rush and if there's one thing I learned in, in consumer behavior is that brands love to be there when you're having that dopamine rush. That's why they sponsor uh, stadiums and that's why they're in every sports game. They want to be there when you're at that high. So we said if we could just find all those mini highs and kind of all the different things we do every day on our phones and then bring brands in there in a meaningful right. way, 
potentially there could be something interesting. So that's how we started it. How much of a creep are you? Like how, like how observant of a person? I love, I mean, here's one thing I tell everyone, even in big companies, small companies, startups, entrepreneurs is, you know, your sense of curiosity is one that you should never lose primarily because that's what makes you youthful. And a lot of people do comment on my age. They comment on my energy. They comment on my um, my observations, and a lot of it comes from just you being constantly curious about everything. Um, and so that was what led me to this: was why, 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 why? Right. And then you go in, and you may not know the solution, but other people's might, other people's research might have led to something that could be a solution. Yeah. And in fact, one of the pieces of research that led me to specifically picking out the model for rewarding people on a surprise and delight basis. Um, so the rewards are not expected. The consumer doesn't know when they're going to get rewarded. I was reading a book called Predictably Rational by Dan Ariely, and there was a section that talked about uh, positive intermittent reinforcement, which is, in English, just surprise and delight things. And so the idea of that being a part of our model just seemed natural, and so we just did it, and right. it worked out. Cool. And, and do you think – because we, we talk a lot about being like being culturally curious, and like especially a lot of innovators are always in the state of like – Wonder in the world. Do you think that that's a skill that can be taught? Like, is that you know, when you go and talk to groups, like, I want to be creative, but I don't, like, you know, is that something that you feel like is a natural thing, or is it, you can you can learn it? It's very natural. Every human being has it from the day we're born um, to the day we die, and I think the way you accentuate it or you take it, bring it out of you, is through travel. And, uh, and it doesn't have to be expensive travel. I'm talking just going to different cities, going yeah. to different areas of your city, exploring. The physical act of exploring, I think, takes out that part of you because you have to adapt by nature of where you're going if it's a different environment. If you're always staying in the same circle, uh, both people and regions and places, you will begin to think in a stale way. So by going to different places, meeting more people and seeing different places – uh, and adapting to those places, spending right. good time there, uh, is incredibly important. Are you well traveled? I mean, I, I my vert definition of it is very different than others. <laughs> it's all relative. No, it's it's it's, it's relative. And I I think there's a, two categories of travel. There's business travel, and then there's sort of cultured, uh, immersive travel. Right. And sometimes you can com- combine the two. And that's what I try to do whenever I go to different places. So in that instance, is keep a global brand, like because at, at, and do people consider reward the way you defined it, you know, valuable in other parts of the world? So it's been five years. So we've been we're now active in thirty countries. We support twenty seven languages. Uh, it's obviously different levels of scale. Uh, now China is our second biggest region. Uh, Canada, uh, UK, Australia, so a lot of the Anglo countries as well. We found that there are varied cultural responses to rewards, but most of them are positive. So it's, right. it's always at a baseline of good, okay, I'm receptive to it, and then people crazy about it. So, for example, in Japanese culture, rewards and surprise is a big part of it. And, uh, you know, the, you've heard of the, the New Year's goodie bag. You can, mm-hmm. it is a, it's just baked into a lot of the ways that the traditional culture has evolved, where rewards, gifting, Surprises are a part of uh, uh, of that sort of uh, uh, thinking, so it's very universal rewarding. It's just the way people receive it is very different, and so right. the way you accomplish certain goals for different brands also vary as well. So the mechanism by which you actually get there 
becomes a little bit different or the point of reward becomes well the mechanism is the same right. but then the response is different and right. the response if it's the response that the brand is looking for then great if it's not then you move on to the next thing so it's it's always uh, being conscious of what the responses are like so give us like a I don't know like a, a key I don't want to say case study, but like an example of keep in action and, you know. Yeah. Actually, there's one very recent example that's been well publicized that's just my favorite. I love sharing it. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a brand actually that's based here in SF, uh, but is inter- it's a global brand, but their U.S. headquarters is here. It's Campari. So Campari has brands like Sky Vodka, Wild Turkey Bourbon, American Honey, and people are probably wondering, wait, what reward would these guys give out? I mean, you can't technically give out alcohol. It's illegal. Uh, although that would be awesome. Uh, but the reward they actually chose to give was a Uber and a Lyft credit. Um, sure. The idea was to use their CSR budget, which was largely used for very simple messaging of, you know, drink, drink responsibly. Exactly. <laughs> That's it. But it's, it's, I think it's, it's, they, they're regulated to spend. I enjoy drinking, driving, and texting. Yeah, That's exactly. Yeah. The, 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 the way they spend their dollars is actually, I think, mandated by regulation in, 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 in CSR. So they said, well, wh- why couldn't we do something more innovative? And so the idea of surprising someone with a free Uber or Lyft credit is like, hey, here's a free credit for a safe ride home. And it was it was all embedded into the 4,000 apps that we're already in. And it would be, for example, based on different apps, like an app where you might be looking for a restaurant or when you're booking a table or when you're looking at drink recipes. These are all moments that Campari could be there and to reward you. So that accomplished three things. The first is it was a way to actually encourage consumption because now you know that this is a safe ride to get home, right? right. Second was to show Campari as a corporate social brand. And the third was to use their budget in a much more creative way. Right. And these were three things that eventually led to them taking the program into another level, which was CRM. So they we call it CR, CSR to CRM. Thank you to three-letter acronyms and how well they've been adopted in the marketing it really world. Flows, it totally flows, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but CSR to CRM was like a, a, an internal code name for this this program because you know it's hard to do CRM and loyalty in, in spirits because you know you don't want someone to sign up to the Sky loyalty right. program. This has a lot of doesn't really have a good ring to it. Vodka. Yeah, you don't want to be mayor of a booze. <laughs> so we said let's 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 use this as a way for people to align to the brand and respond to it positively and be a part of the pro their, their CRM programs. That's great. Um, uh, you're obviously a young guy and you have a pretty good origin story. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm correct, uh, high school graduated 14, college graduated 18. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, so that's a, that's a high level of intellect. And I think there are other people like you, there's other kids that grew up like you, and, and there's this thinking, or even statistically, that... You know, people whose talents are not discovered or nurtured, especially if they're high-functioning individuals, especially academically, become social outcasts. And there's a high suicide rate among geniuses. And um, how, like, what did your parents do to kind of nurture your your gift? This is a fantastic question. I, I I'm actually I love sort of going head on with this because my parents actually didn't want me to skip grades. They were the ones against it. Yes, and I will. Uh, admit, you know, the Asian parenting stereotype that you might have thought that they were the ones that um, that was encouraging that, but they said no. Uh, we're worried you, you're going to it's going to stifle your development socially. And the reason why I was able to get through, uh, at least so I think I turned out okay, is uh, my my brother is four years older than me, and I had someone to look to to guide me from a social norm standpoint. What is right. normal? Who knows? It's all again relative as well. 
And so that was one reason um, that I think everything kind of worked out from a social development standpoint. And then I think the other is... jealous that you guys are the same grade? Listen, my brother and I are very different people. <laughs> and he he uh, doesn't want to kill me. Uh, we're totally chill. We graduated college at the same time. Right. It's like, we, yeah, it was really funny. But, you know, he, he has his own career path. He's extremely successful at what he does. He actually works at a very well-known up-and-coming brand called Herschel Bags. Which, oh, I love Herschel. Yeah, yeah see? Yeah. So he's doing extremely I love your well. Yeah, he's already. Actually, let's end this interview. Yeah, and let's just go. <laughs> exactly. So he's doing great. Um, but in terms of, and, and he, he went through so many different uh, subject matters and ended up landing on to fashion as something that he wanted to do, which yeah. I'm so happy for him for uh, doing those things. Uh, the other thing I would point out is, you know, you, you, you mentioned the nurturing part, which immediately made me think about outliers and you know Malcolm Gladwell wrote about how you know this whole anecdotal I mean most of his books are pretty anecdotal but the whole idea of you know if you're young you get uh, and you're told you're smart uh, you will believe you're very smart and you will do the things that smart kids do and then they'll also support you as if you're smart and if you were told that you were dumb and you get put into a program that doesn't have the types of resources to that seemingly would be aligned to a kid that was deemed smart it would be very different so i think i luckily was able to benefit from the we think you're smart bucket but it was because of fantastic academic professionals that were around me that were able to identify that i was gifted now do I agree with the term gifted? It's a bit controversial, but the whole point was that they had plucked me out and put me into different programs. Right. And the way to actually look for this sometimes is very counterintuitive. The way you find gifted children sometimes is to look for the ones that are struggling or seeming to not do well in class because they're the ones that are bored out of their minds mm-hmm. and don't want to play ball with the way that the academic system works. And so it's really interesting. So you look right. for the lowest performing kids to find the smartest ones. Isn't that interesting? Yes. And, and I would actually say that smarts and giftedness are two very different things. Intelligence could be a measure of memory, could be a measure of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, memory and creativity, as you know, are very different concepts. And so the way that we need to, we need to nurture children in the future that have that mix is very different. And that's why education is a huge passion point of mine. I think that I had hacked the system to get out of school four years early with a degree underneath my belt. A lot of them have just dropped out, as you know. It seems to be the thing to do as an entrepreneur. But even as a non-entrepreneur, there are kids that do just don't agree with the fact that there's a standard amount of time for you to go through school. How is it possible that we're all so different, born and raised in different conditions, yet we all get given the same education? Right. It's bizarre. It's hard, like it's, I mean, I would imagine from a systemic standpoint, it's hard for the edge. And this is a, like a problem that's trying to be solved totally. from so many different angles. Well, like, this is a global issue. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the thing I would say is, you know, with technology, luckily, because we're in a world where that now is very pervasive, I think we can solve a lot of these issues from a scalable education and custom education standpoint. But I think we could probably talk about that for hours. I mean, this is just a huge area that I think will create a new generation of uh, creators and already is being a problem that's tackled head on by a lot of these modern education companies like the General Assemblies of the world. Right. Why did you decide if, you know, like I said, some drop out and go the afternoon route immediately, why did you decide to stick with a formal education? Well, because that was a one Asian parenting uh, <laughs> sort of a consequence was you need to get a degree. <laughs> um, is there a place for in education, especially in like what you're talking about, like yeah. sort of the rewards. Lots of places. System. We actually work with a lot of learning apps that 
take you know language learning for example and make it fun through rewards so we are very proud of the fact that we have just this applicability into so many categories that's awesome um how do we just going back to the educational point for a second yeah yeah sure like you talk about identifying them how do we encourage more you know more young academic achievers to take a similar maybe not the exact path obviously but there's two ways to do it one is add a new language into the curriculum and the second is exposure the first is a little bold but I think much like Spanish English French coding should be another language that youth should be encouraged to learn gender neutral the second is exposure so they're hand in hand because then if you you know the kids know that you know being Elon is very possible and Elon's a bit extreme I'm talking maybe just anyone who's an entrepreneur and building tech companies like you yeah Uh, and myself and I think if you understand that stuff is possible uh, it becomes very powerful and then they have the desire to learn and I think the thing is the you know you think about when you were a kid what you wanted to be when right. you grew up was the exposure and NASA had this stronghold on exposure for dreams to kids because right. everyone wanted to be an astronaut because you knew it was possible if you did not even know that we were going to space you wouldn't even think of being an astronaut as a right. possible career so these are all things that I'm hoping more and more uh, youth will be exposed to over time well that's great because I, I think also, you know, a lot of conversation like underserved areas is always like we don't know what we don't know so, yeah, so like, exactly. I don't know that the astronaut you know of yeah. you know coding exists right? yes like, it's and so you don't have that as an aspect. And it applies all throughout our education, even yeah. in university. For example, when I was in university, I went to business school as my undergrad because you can do that in Canada. And one of the things that was the most popular, and it was a huge issue for me, the, one of the most popular career choices out of school was being an accountant. The reason is because the top exposed careers and sponsors and companies that would support right. all of our school programs were the big four. Yeah. So I don't blame them. It was a very smart strategy for them. But I also, at the same time, needed to personally extract myself, go to places like San Francisco, L.A., New York, Chicago, and then just see that, my gosh, there were tons of other careers that exist that you don't even know about when you're going through college. If you didn't study advertising or if you didn't get exposed to the advertising or media world, a lot of the careers in that space you wouldn't yeah. even be aware of, right? It's, it's really well, it's crazy. interesting, too, because I think of, about, like, the localization, like, where you are. Like, so I grew up in Michigan. Of course. Went to Michigan State. Yeah. Obviously, like, the car business is there, so they have so many engineering yeah. programs, Agreed. which is what I chose, right? Yeah. There wasn't, like, if, I, if you know, being maybe in San Francisco or L.A. Yeah. or different, like, maybe the skew of, of the course. offerings. But that's been. the global nature of education and right. why, again, technology can revolutionize this. I want... The kid growing up in Bangladesh to learn about data science yeah. and become fascinated by that. And these like are the things that exactly. And <laughs> these and that's why they said the next Bill Gates will not be from America. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so, the, I think the other part of intellect is uh, emotional intelligence. Of course. Right? Uh, so, kind of like yes, you had your older brother, but I think also as you entered the business world, there are obviously some gaps you had to close. You've, you've spoken about this before in terms of how you strategically made sure like your areas of weakness or so like whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, so I think a lot of people would look at their youth or something um, as a, a crutch or as a weakness. And I always tell people you can take what is perceived to be a weakness and turn into a strength. It's like a Jedi mind trick, right? And the way you do it is just look at the advantage. That what is, you know, as a, if you constantly tell yourself that looking young, people aren't going to take yourself, yourself seriously, it's just you're going to continue to convince yourself that. But if you're young, 
people are expecting you to be innovative. They can, will underestimate you. You can ask tons of questions and learn as much as you can. You can ask anything, really. Right. You're, you're licensed to learn. These are all strengths, and you should continue to really hound, uh, hound on that. And then I think, similarly from an overall perspective, you know, I believe in nurturing at some point in your life more of your strengths rather than your weaknesses. I think a lot of folks spend way too much time trying to fix their weaknesses because through school we were told, oh, you got a, a C here, you got to do better. And right. yes, that makes sense to a certain point in your development as a human being. But there is a point where you realize that, yeah, you know, this is just not my yep. thing. I've learned how much I need to learn to know that it exists and that I know that I can find people better <laughs> at right. me than that. Right, right. Things like I know that finance exists and I know that there are contracts and budgets and things that need to be handled by people and those things can be handled by others who are really really good at it and then I will do what I know that I'm really good at which is I'm really good at getting people super excited about stuff Mm -hmm. and so that is my talent and I will continue to sharpen that and be good at it Um, what are some tactics you use to get people excited about stuff uh, I like to raise my I like to raise my eyebrows a lot. I like to uh, you sort of increase the volume of my voice right at the beginning to wake people up. I love um, sort of surprising people. It's always about using things that they don't expect. So, for example, formats of typical meetings are you know, guy comes in, here's the agenda, da 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 da. If you come in, you be like, hey, what are you guys like? What's the brainstorm? Let's start with the brainstorm right now. Let's like, do that right now, and then go another. And just getting people, catching people off guard, is a way to, to to get them excited because now you're making different parts of their brain light up, and right. then they're just not stale. They're just not sitting there like a piece of bread for a long time. And so that, to me, is extremely uh, effective. Um, the other is taking people out of their element, right? Yeah. So getting people into events, finding them at events. Uh, uh, being refreshingly sort of personal with them, right? I I think typically, and by the way, why would I get people excited about stuff? Obviously, it's for sales reasons, yeah, right? Yeah. So let's just be honest. But what one thing that people realize is typical sales tactics is so obvious. But if you're actually there genuinely to know someone as a person right. because they're interesting, and you're not just looking them at them as a checkbook. Um, for example, my opening line when I went to the CMO of Mastercard was, "Hey, Roger, everyone probably thinks that you're like a walking ATM, right?" And he's like, "Yeah." But I'm not. And immediately it was like, that's just that. So you establish rapport just by knowing more about who you are spending time with. And that inevitably leads to doing business with each other. But I just, my perspective on that is very simple. You'll do business with someone if you like them and if you know you can help each other. That's the bottom line. It doesn't matter about anything else. Yeah. I've, it's just, this is literally the way in life is you get away, you get around getting things done by being nice to people. It's, it's like building a genuine connection, right? Exactly. It's not just like a transactional relationship. Correct. So there's, that's with every relationship in business and in personal. You have very transactional. And this is one of the advantages of being right across from a fire hall. <laughs> no, seriously. There's literally a fire station oh, right across the street. Totally yeah. different. All right. Yeah. Cool. Um, is, are there Dalmatians here? Uh, no, actually. I haven't seen any. <laughs> That'd be funny. Um, so as you have scaled, right, as a business person, um, you know, what's been, I don't know, have there been any surprises that have popped up for you, you know, especially when you, you just hit the 24, 25 mark? Um, what surprised you the most along this entrepreneurial journey so far? The early days, the surprising thing was just how difficult it is to let go of control, right? You're a huge control freak. You want everything to be perfect. And and then also realizing that you're perfect is very different than other people's perfect. And your job is to enable them to get to their perfect, not to get to your perfect. And that is a huge realization that I think helped me a lot uh, throughout the, the early stages of the company. The second most surprising thing was just how difficult it is to hire senior talent. 
um, and to maintain and call and to build that talent. Um, I'm talking C-level executives as well. It's just extremely difficult. Um, You have so many things that lead up to that hire, especially when you're at that point where you need to hire a CRO or a COO or a CMO or whatever you want. Those are not exactly a walk in the park type recruits. And they usually come in after the fact. They're usually not your co-founders and that's what makes them a little bit more challenging. Right. Um, but that was surprisingly difficult and luckily we got through it alive and we have an amazing team now. Um, and the last thing that's surprising is just how much you care about the tiny little things mm-hmm. that later on you look back and realize it doesn't really, at the end of the day, matter. Um, the way I would describe this in tactical terms to help people get through day-to-day exercises is try to line, nothing is ever as terrible as it seems and nothing is as amazing as it seems. So right. when you're in a deal, for example, and you're like, this is amazing. You will find out in a few months that it typically, it's okay. It wasn't really as amazing as you thought. And then there'll be situations where you think the, the, the house is going to burn down, and it didn't. And, right. and it always, I constantly found this to be the, the case. How do you stay, how do you stay, like, balanced between those two things, right? Like, there's things that are going to be like, what, what did you do? And then there's going to be things like, oh, wow. Like, you just said, there's a, those extremes. Yeah. Like, how do you stay balanced? So my emotions things? become a lot more tempered. You know, so in the beginning, you, you have, you let yourself ride the roller coaster. Once you're later on, you let yourself average out through the whole roller coaster. So you, you get a little bit more numb to things, which I think is kind of a bad thing sometimes, but it's good in that you're relied upon by your staff to be the guiding star and making sure that there's always a next step. Yeah. This is the other thing that I have to remind a lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs specifically is your job is to do stuff, is to make decisions. Yeah. It's in your name, right? So you need to get things going and so meaning if there's a decision that your team needs to make and you don't have the full data you still have to make the decision and if there's a fire and something went horribly wrong you need to be the one who puts your head out and says hey guys everything's okay now this is what we're going to do next even if you might not even know that's the right next move and that's what makes this job so incredibly tough but rewarding well it's also like um I wrote recently, like, life is like a GPS, you know, and, and business. Like, even when you go wrong, like, the universe will kind of course correct you. So sure. you're just taking the, that best next step you think is right. Yeah. And, like, it's a constant state of checks and balances along Yeah, and you set yourself up so that those who are redirecting you are there to redirect you for the reasons that are aligned to your own. And there's another line of thinking around, uh, there's a book called, I think, First Time Executive, um, and it talks about when you do hire C-level executives, um, setting up a four wins, because I think statistically, I forget what, it's a very large percentage that fail within the first year. Um, have you employed any tactics to help set up your C-level staff for wins, you know, when they... When well, they- the solution, which I didn't actually get to talk about, was finding people to promote from within. So I basically realized at some point that, especially for the type of profile company that we are, hiring someone straight into a C-level role is a recipe for disaster, primarily because the expectations are so high for this person coming in, both externally and internally, that... It, no, it, 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 exactly. You expect them to be the panacea. You right. expect them to be the messiah. You expect them to be the solve all. And you just, it's just too much pressure. When you bring someone in, even at SVP, it's fancy pants title for just basically pre C. 
you you don't you insulate them actually you protect them from that pressure from the board from mm-hmm. customers from everyone you let them take the time to perform and earn it too and the other thing is you attract people into that role that are more doers I'm not saying that all C level people don't like to do things but typically they're at the point in their career where they want to have the C level title that's one component to their incentive and that's fine for everyone who is normal as a human being we all right. love recognition I mean it's very normal I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing but. For the type of pro- person you need or profile you need, sometimes having them grow within is extremely uh, advantageous for everyone. Um, what's the vibe like at Keep? Like, what, what kind of com- company culture have you have you set up? Yeah, you can kind of hear it and see it. I mean, we're uh, it's just an amazing team. We're super tight knit. Um, we're I would like to say family, and we are, uh, and we have multiple families too because we were a New York uh, team that has their own culture as well polyamorous uh, very polyamorous Uh, (laughs) let's just put it that way Uh, but uh, we're um, again the culture is based on think about it serendipity rewards Right. right I mean that's such a great thing yeah. to build moments I mean that's the whole thing our product reflects that and then our people reflect that um, you were on the cover of Entrepreneur and you know part of the story was about you know, entrepreneurs changing the, changing the world uh, what does changing the world look like through Brian Wong's eyes like, what's your definition of it I think changing the world involves changing what was perceived to be a norm for something different that ends up making everyone's lives better so it's still very vague, but in our world, because people don't need to see awful banner ads anymore that actually might change their psyche and their happiness, and I'm not claiming that we're changing the world to scale that like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and trying to cure AIDS and things like that, that's a very different scale and level. But I think impo- you know, introducing change is really just to improve someone's life one by one. Uh, in some way and I think happiness is a big one and we deliver a lot of that um, mm-hmm. to quote Tony Shea and I think that's a big piece of what we want to bring to the world in our in our work that's awesome um, you uh, your one of your most recent tweets uh, what a killer month 2016 starts off with a bang so proud and excited of what we're doing um, define a killer month what's it what's a keep killer month so we uh, have a goal for revenue this quarter. We are already at 108% of that, and it's only the first month. So that was the reason why I said the month is a killer oh, cool. month. So you're going to buy lunch then? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think the other thing is our team has been waiting for this moment for so long. <laughs> I mean, we are five years in. And yes, last year was great. year before that was great. But in terms of just at that point where you are able to see that acceleration, it's right. such a, an amazing moment for everyone. And it makes me almost so uh, emotional to see my team see the rewards come and 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 now know that what they were working on had that impact, and I, I think they are always always did. But sometimes seeing hard numbers like that is is truly truly yeah. a meaningful thing. How have you surprised and delighted your team? Like, is there like- all the time? We do events. We do uh, like uh, it's events are a big way. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, gifts, uh, you name it. We. We've definitely made a huge improvement in how we bring people out. I mean, we've, we've taken the, uh, employees and their families. All, we take out the, the Mall of Great America a bunch of times a year, uh, which is like Six Flags, which <laughs> yeah, is awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we um, last night our team went out to the Exploratorium and at After Dark, which basically means drinking in museum time, which is fantastic. And uh, every South by, we like to call it sort of the big moment because you know we have this different physical moments that we you know do we do a lot of digital moments with physical moments and uh, last year we had uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot play year before 
that was Bismarck Key. Year before that was Coolio. Uh, Coolio actually like took everyone to our, our the rented house we had and, and cooked everyone. I, I was hoping he cooked. He like, did. He, he cooked. Amazing. He cooked cooking with Coolio. He cooked. He bought. He went. We have this hilarious video of him in Whole Foods just going up and down, <laughs> buying ingredients for his huge spaghetti dish. So it was. Uh, there's a lot of moments to to remember and and surprises for our team. Um, you. Uh, Career-wise, or just like how people perceive you, right? They yeah. go like, "Oh wow, he's done X," and he's like, um, "Who wows you?" Like, what? Like, what? What's the thing that Brian Wong goes? Oh yeah, that I wish that I could do that. Oh. So I, I don't necessarily look at someone and 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 wish to be like them. Sure. I think idolizing is more of a fantasy versus a, a constructive uh, a process. I think being inspired. And being invigorated uh, by the likes of the Bransons and the Musks of the world is a good thing because you you see them do it, you see it's possible from another human being, and it motivates you. Um, do I want to necessarily start my own private space flight company? No, uh, but I do now know that at that level of scale, a human being can accomplish those types of things, and that's what makes it so uh, admirable. Um, so for me, it's it's. It's really breaking down depending on where I am in my career and what I'm trying to accomplish. So, for example, I uh, have a book coming out this year. I can't say much more than that. And there's someone that has just figured it out. And you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there, it's actually, you can see more at brianiswritingabook.com. But, okay. but there's, a, there's a dude who just happens to have just – he just really gets it in terms of self-promotion, shameless, in, in a very positive way. Right. And at the same time, generating tons and tons of book sales. And, and this guy is the one and only Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, so there's this uh, – and you just watch him and you're just like, man, this guy does a, an episode about himself every day called The Daily V. He Snapchats practically every five minutes. He answers every email that he gets, every one. Like I've tested this. I'll email him like – Three times in three days, and he'll email every single. He'll answer every single. They might be like nonsensical right. one-word have answers. You seen my, have you yeah, seen he'll, my yes. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll be like, "Hey, can you help me with this?" Yes, uh, or like next time, or like you know, it's, it's so funny. Uh, but and then he answers every tweet. He he responds to every Facebook comment. He's just a machine, and he's a force of nature in that way. Now. Is that my cup of tea? No. Um, but you can inspire people to be so effective at, at just being active social in yeah. social media. He is the epitome of that. Well, when, you, like, when you think about your personal brand, like Gary Vaynerchuk, is, like you said, it's on one very, like, the Gary V brand. Is, yeah, he's right it, there, it, yeah. It, you know, and I, I have my own as well, right? And mine is, is, you know, you'll notice in my social media that I'm not extremely public about my personal life, right? I don't share every restaurant I go to or every concert I'm going to. And partly because of a personal belief. And that is I try not to – I think that by sharing too much, you're letting people uh, diminish the value of that experience for yourself. Uh, I had my first old man moment. I was at this concert last year, and I saw like these teen girls in front of me just – Watching the concert through the screen of their their Snapchat capture, right. and I was like, "Watch the fucking concert with your own yeah. with your own yeah. eyes. You have your own eyeballs. Use those. Don't use the camera." And yeah. it was such a shame. But this is the thing. So I don't like to share all those. But what I do like to do is make sure that every time I'm I'm posting or every time I'm interacting, that there's value. Yeah. Right. My whole 
uh, belief is people are there to consume your media. Why? So that they can get something for themselves. It's mm-hmm. not just for you to share your vanity. And that, to me, is crucial to how we orient everything that we do from a both social media standpoint to on a personal level. Yeah. And, you know, in the beginning or maybe even now, like, has there ever been a point where you felt like your personal brand was overshadowing keep or, you know, did you have to... Learn how to strike that the balance. fates have been so intertwined it's one and the same in many ways and there is no separation it's just the same right. um, and it's been very beneficial in many ways I mean I can use my brand to always benefit the company it's always perceived the, that one way I mm-hmm. don't use the brand the other way um, and that's I think a way to draw a line to make sure that people around you know that you're there for all the right reasons and people know this very clear to them that I'm always using my 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 uh, ability to uh, gather an audience or s- share a message to promote the hell out of my own company. Right. Well, it's definitely like an extension of you, right? This whole, it's an extension of me, but it's a vehicle that other people are in and that can benefit a ton. From. Oh, 100%. And my goal is to make sure that they benefit. Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's the cool part is that it, like. The idea, like the the concept of keep, is very much an extension of who you are as an individual. Yeah. Um, so and that's the best part about being an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> your your baby is part a part came from you. There's a part of you in it, and it's that's the, that's the best part. And so let's talk about that for a second, right? Because I, I think some people try to make smart businesses, right, versus doing things that are. Intimately, you know, connected to them. Sure. Um, is there a place for both of those things? Absolutely. It's a lifestyle choice. It's what do you want to be when you grow up in that way, right? It's like what drives you, what motivates you, what helps you wake up in the morning. And if being incredibly efficient in building smart businesses that generate tons and tons of cash, great. If it's doing all that whilst having something that actually aligns to your morals, ethics, personal beliefs, then even better, right? Mm-hmm. And those are the. That, I think, is the holy grail for an entrepreneur. And so you're constantly striving for that. How can I mix business goals with something that actually makes me motivated every single day because I know I'm doing something that I, yeah. that I actually believe in? You love banging on the table, right? There's, there's yeah. a lot of bass in there. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. I was, was, was yeah. putting some lyrics over yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Boom, boom. Boom. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, let's talk about pivoting for us a quick second as we pivot in the interview. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure over your five-year journey, there's been decisions you've had to make. And you're like, oh, that didn't work out. Like, like how do you handle the you know pivots when they need to happen and, and maybe give an example? By not calling them pivots. So internally, we always look at, you know, sort of learning lessons as yeah. the way to perceive a lot of this stuff. You're always lucky enough to have learned that lesson. So you know not to make that mistake again. And mistakes are great as long as you only make them once. And that is... And I did not come up with that, but it is very true, right? You are totally fine from making, like, you're totally cool making mistakes, but as long as you don't make it again, you're 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 good, right? right. So, um, and as long as it doesn't involve life and death, um, and in our business, luckily, that doesn't happen that often. Um, so, that's how we look at it. And I think most people, unfortunately, are so anxious about making the right decision that there's inaction. And sometimes there's not enough time to make the right action. So those are issues that are easily fixed by making early decisions, and especially sometimes in releasing products. You don't have to release a perfect product. 
just get it out there so that you know how people feel. Right. And those are all very important things. And that happens like at every step along the process too, I think. Like whether you're pitching, whether you have an MVP, whether you're like I A B test my email subject lines even to this day, right? And I, I there's is a, and even my emails. And and these are all things that you are constantly learning about. That's why when you you have that learning attitude, you're never making the right or wrong decision. You're always learning. Constantly curious. Um, so um, I guess when it comes to sort of the spark of innovation, right? Five years ago, probably even before that, you were on this plane and you're like, aha. Like, how do you maintain that same sense of excitement, you know, five years later? And it's like you've grown, like you have other pain points now, but how do you keep your energy? Maybe this is just for anybody, like a rule of yeah. how to keep that spark. Give yourself room. The problem with a lot of entrepreneurs is they suffocate themselves. They make themselves so busy. They pack their days. They don't give themselves any time to breathe. And by doing that, you will suck your own energy out of yourself. And the way to preserve it is take time. I'm not saying go go and F off and go to a party and, and, and go yeah. nuts. I'm saying in a way this is like meditation but without the 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 connotations attached to the 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 the, the, the process is give yourself time to roam free mentally so for me this means sometimes giving myself saturday completely off right i don't do any email i don't have any phone calls i try to even talk to people for most of the day seriously i try to avoid in-person interactions i'm talking like being by myself right and that gives you time to think. Because on a day-to-day, I'm talking to hundreds of people. And there's no way for you to just take yourself back and just think about the right decision, uh, sort of meditate about what you've done, uh, and then think about new ideas. Right. So that is, is hugely important. Just give yourself that rhythm. Do you meditate? Officially, no. But like I said, it, like, in, a, in a way, sitting on a plane for 14 hours is my, one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Because I love not n- knowing that no one can bother me I in those that all the time. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I love being on planes, and I like a, I'm, a, I'm a master swimmer. Yeah. So, like, I'm going to practice three times a week, and I love swimming because I'm, like, face down in a yeah. pool. I can't hear anything, even yeah. compared to running. Yeah. Because, like, running, you're still, like, looking at the environment. Yeah, there's still stimuli. Car, yeah. Or run over yeah. my horse. I don't yeah. know what era yeah. I go And then that's also the other thing. You're const- either using a meditation where you're you're using it to use your brain to think about things, or you're using it to distract yourself from thinking about those things. So, uh, again, uh, my version of your swimming is is skiing. So when I ski, y- you don't focus. You're gonna like die because y- you literally need to make sure you don't fall and kill yourself. And so uh, that's why skiing is a great way for me to not think about work for that (laughs) truly work of death you're truly not able to think about it like (laughs) that's and so and people may say that sometimes that's why like crazy celebrities have to do drugs because that's the only way they don't think about their their, their insanity every day right Um, but luckily just don't do drugs and ski yeah just don't do those things (laughs) I don't condone any of those things (laughs) Um, the show is called Innovation Crush. Yeah. Right. We talked about a lot of different things, concepts. I'm sure in your day to day business and being in Silicon Valley, you see like a plethora of ideas and stuff. Um, what are you currently crushing on? Cultural, technological, food. I don't know. Health, man. Uh, I just ran into, and again, we're near a sketchy yeah. area, so there's a lot of sirens. But I think uh, that's not right. yeah, maybe <laughs> the the uh, healthcare and actually preventative health. 
So there's a, a, a Google is working on this stuff. Lots of big tech companies are there's traffic, so the, the, they're trying to get through the traffic, so they keep running the sirens to get through the traffic. All right, we'll talk about over. The yeah, well, yeah. But the thing is, uh, I think med school, by the nature of even the practice being called medicine, right. is so counterintuitive to the way that as humans we need to be taking a look at our own health. Right. Which is. It's all about the whole current practice and infrastructures around after you, something's happened to you. Nothing's really been developed at massive scale infrastructure right. about making sure nothing does happen to you. And um, right now, this is a luxury only afforded to the rich. Right. right? You know, every billionaire has you know an army of people from a dietitian to a, a doctor to a, you know, nutritionist to a trainer to you name it. Right. But for those of us who don't have the luxury of hiring an army of people to make sure that we don't get sick, uh, what can we do using technology? Yeah. And this is everything from the collective data of the world. Mm-hmm. How, for example, can we take a look at every single potential stimuli that could lead to XYZ cancer and then make sure that your genetic disposition towards that cancer is minimized, minimized because of your environment, how you change it, right. and the food you, you consume. So all these things are all now accessible with technology. It's just a matter of putting it in the hands of as many people as possible. I, think, I like to think about like the idea of wearable tech as well, like you know your Fitbit. Or That's whatever. all related. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it's like it becomes a coach, right? Like yeah. socks, like um, SES. Yeah. There was a company there called Sensoria. Okay. Right, and it measures the impact you have when you're running. Sure. From, from human durability, right? Like, yeah. oh, if you adjust your stride this way, yeah. your knees will last. So longer. not to like wrap all of those things into one thing but those are sensors and I think the sensing technology we have today is so cheap and accessible that that's leading to the ability now to make true recommendations in the past you know sensing anything or even knowing what's going on was impossible we did not have gyroscopes in our pockets until Apple came out with the iPhone and so now we have that now we have those types of sensors that are at a price point that's accessible to most people right that's great um, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is creating the unseen. Continue, expand a little bit. There's a lot of things that you can't see or you've not seen that with innovation you invent out of thin air. And I think that's what innovation leads to, leads to invention, right? And I think, uh, and, and, and so. It's tough because the, the truly innovative products in the world sometimes are a combination of things that we've already seen. But then there's that, those one or two things that come along in the world that no one's ever seen the before. The WTF thing. Right? <laughs> those things are ridiculous. That's true innovation. Yeah. But I think there's incremental innovation. There's, always, there's different categories of it. But I think true innovation is inventing these things that no one can see. That's awesome. Um, thank you. Thank you. I'm so polite. Uh, I like your gold. What was it? Rose gold laptop? Whatever. <laughs> I'm Asian. I love gold stuff. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's, it's, what, yeah, what's Asian and gold core? We love it. It's, it's good luck. That's, gold and red. Honorary black too. Yeah, that too. We could be honorary you're, black. You're, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> good for you. Listen, the the, uh, the 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 cultural ramifications of gold and the red color in a, in Asian in Chinese culture is is good luck, and that's why during um, Chinese New Year, which is coming up, uh, everyone gets these red and gold envelopes. Well, Happy New Year. Thank you. Um, uh, how can people find you on the interwebs? Where do, where do they go to see? Well, our like, site is at Brian Well, Brian is about the book. Yeah, that's where you can sign up for updates. But uh, my uh, the site for the company is keep.com. That's K I I P.com. And 
Uh, my Twitter is Brian underscore Wong. All right. Well, thank you for, for joining us. And, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. This has been another installment of Innovation Crush. I'm your host, Chris Denson, and I will talk to you next time. Oh, 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 oh